you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. Happy National Estuaries Week, Simone. Oh, yes. Happy yes. National Estuaries Week. Nobody brought me a cake or anything. I know. What do you? What should you eat to celebrate National Estuaries Week? Maybe something from an estuary. Mm, I don't know if I would eat that. <laughs> there are a lot of things that you eat all the time that are from estuaries and you don't even know about I will it. say I've, saw, I've seen quite a bit of press about Marsh Dog and their nutria treats making yeah. its way around. Uh, so I'm, a, glad, I'm glad we got them again before they got white hot. Exactly. There was a USA Today story about them. Um, oh, I didn't see that. that wow, came out. Nice. They've been making the rounds. And in fact, um, you know, Winnie, Winifred, the chow, my, my baby, had her first birthday uh, a few weeks ago. And I went down to Jefferson Feed and picked up some uh, blueberry uh, nutria marsh dog <laughs> treats. And she she loves them. Winnie's such a queen. Happy she birthday. Is. She <laughs> is. Let me tell you, she had multiple birthday presents. Um, so just real quick on National Estuaries Week. Um, it is, you know, sponsored by uh, Restore America's Estuary. It's an opportunity to highlight the importance of estuaries around the world. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a nationwide celebration of our bays and estuaries and the many benefits they provide to local communities. Each year, hundreds of organizations throughout the country host local events in celebration of National Estuaries Week, from beach cleanups and marsh restoration events to kayaking tours. Um, and it's meant to create awareness, allow people to understand um, you know, the value of those estuaries. Um, you know, a lot of times people live and work and play right near an estuary and they don't even know that it is one, right? So um, it, there's more than 30,000 volunteer events happening across um, various states. Um, and we're really excited to have a former guest on to talk about um, one of our favorite estuaries, one of our most nearby estuaries. Um, welcome back to Delta Dispatches, Christy Trail, Executive Director with the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation. Hi, thank you for having me. Hello, Christy. You were on my TV yesterday morning. <laughs> so I hear. Christy creeps into my life. Speaking of making the rounds, so Christy's also been I don't making know who's the rounds. You when you say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did an excellent job. You were talking about the most current events happening on the lake and with the lake and in the lake. So, what you got going? Yeah, we actually talked a little bit about National Estuaries Week as well. So, um, yeah, it's been a great summer. It is September. I'm just going to go ahead and say it is still summer since it's yeah, 98 degrees it down is. here mm. still. Um, so we'll just continue on with September being summer. But we have spent a lot of time gearing up for our big event um, that's going to be this Saturday. And we're going to talk about that a little bit here later today. Um, and yeah, just trying to survive the heat more than anything. Oh, I hear you. I am having dreams of flannel and <laughs> I don't even like pumpkin spice lattes, but you know, that too. Um, I cannot wait for that. And we're going to like front. in six months from now, complain about, I can't wait for it to be warm in festival weather again. I know, I know, but you know what? Hey, it's been, a, it's been a long, it actually was not bad until August, September, and then it all hit us at once. So, um, Christy, can you help our listeners understand first, what is an estuary? Well, an estuary, um, as you all mentioned, we're going to talk about our favorite estuary right here, which I happen to get to look at every single day out of my office window. The literally. Train estuary. <laughs> yes, literally. Um, and, you know, it's, it's unique here because we call Lake Pontchartrain a lake, and it's technically not a lake. And the reason it's an estuary is because it is a shallow body of water. So most folks may not know that on average, Lake Pontchartrain is only about 12 feet deep. 
I had no idea. Um, in its deepest in its deepest spots, it does get to about 20 feet, but on average across the lake, it is 12 feet deep. So that's one aspect that makes it an estuary. But mostly, it gets that mixture of salt water in from the Gulf of Mexico. You know, there's two passes over there: the Chef Pass and the Wrigley's that allow salt water to enter in. It gets a significant amount of fresh water from the rivers on the North Shore. So those mix together in that shallow environment and create an estuary. It's also huge. I mean, yeah. you know, people see it and they're like, is that a lake or is that like, you know, an arm of the Gulf of Mexico or, you know, and so you see, and I imagine um, the habitat range is pretty big and it supports a lot of different types of species. So tell us a little bit about the diversity of the Pontchartrain estuary. Sure. So, yes, the lake itself is 630 square miles. It is huge. I think we all probably know one dimension just based on the causeway bridge <laughs> that goes across the middle. Uh, so we're all familiar with how long it is all the way across um, across the middle, but it is still a huge body of water. So within the body of water itself, um, we even see unique habitats in there where it's shallower and deeper. Most of the lake is covered with grass. Um, there's submerged vegetation along the bottom, which provides a great place for small organisms to hide and protect themselves, and they're part of the food chain down there as well. But all around the perimeter of the lake, we see different types of habitats. We've got marshlands, um, swamps full of trees, thriving trees, some areas where Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation is trying to add even more trees. Um, we've got uplands on the North Shore where, you know, it's significantly elevated um, territory over there that's not as subjected to flooding as some of the southern portions. Um, and then just a variety of uh, portions of the estuary out further to the east. You know, folks are familiar with Lake Bourne and some of the fishing areas over near Hopedale. You'll see those variety of habitats just within a short boat drive as you drive along um, around in Lake Bourne over there. Christy, you sound like an oncologist and not the engineer that I know you are. But, <laughs> but also, too, one thing, because it's so big, Christy, right, it covers several different parishes. And ca like, like, tell us, I mean, jurisdictionally, right, it, it covers a lot as well. Right. So when we at, here at Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation talk about um, the basin, we look after 16 parishes of the basin. So that goes actually all the way up to East Golly. Louisiana Parish. Uh, down to the tip of Plaquemines, all of that territory um, on the east bank of the river. So that's all the water that drains into Lake Pontchartrain and out of Lake Pontchartrain, out into the Mississippi Sound. That's what we consider the Pontchartrain Basin. That estuary is probably about 75% of that territory, just looking at a lot of the wetlands. Even again, up into the coastal zone on the North Shore, there's a significant amount of wetlands all on the North Shore as well, um, out again into the Biloxi Marsh. So you know, the estuary itself isn't the entire 10,000 square miles, but it's almost all of it. So big news, I mean, this year, of course, and I know the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation has been doing a lot to monitor and report on this, um, but the opening of the spillway twice in one year, the first time that's ever happened, of course, unprecedented amount of precipitation upriver um, this year led to that. How is the lake doing, um, you know, after those openings? The lake is actually doing really great, you know, and I'll just say I do have the opportunity to look at it right now. It's actually been pretty clear this week. Um, and this is a great story for us to talk about, you know, nature really doing its job. Um, you know, the lake has a, a pretty storied history here uh, with its urban neighbors, um, you know, mankind back uh, earlier in the um Back in the 1950s, we took it upon ourselves to alter the ecosystem of the lake. We took out a lot of the clams. That's their natural habitat in the lake. 
Um, we dug up a lot of the grass on the bottom of the lake, and we noticed the ecosystem in the lake fell apart in the 70s and 80s. And once we allowed that ecosystem to restore back to its natural condition, this clam, the clam population came back pretty quickly. The grass is back on the bottom of the lake again, and now the lake is thriving and healthy. I can look out of my window now and just see lots of birds all around the lake, and birds are one component of the ecosystem. They wouldn't be there if the fish weren't there. The big fish wouldn't be there if the little fish weren't there, and the little fish love those uh, crabs and clams that are on the bottom of the lake. And so, you know, all of those parts of the ecosystem really do a great job at taking care of the water, and they're very resilient. So when there's changes in the water conditions, if we get an influx of fresh water for a short period of time, you know, you let nature do its job, it can return it back to normal conditions in no time. So once that spillway closed, we noticed the lake got back to itself pretty quickly. Well, it's good to hear. And um, I know folks can go on your website to access um, a lot of the data and also reporting that you all do on that, those conditions. Um, Christy, we're about to head into a break. I want to talk about what people can be doing this weekend, but also more broadly, to help um, the lake, to help our favorite favorite estuary. Um, and also hear a little bit more about what you said in this um, opinion piece that was recently published in The Advocate. So if you don't mind sticking around with us for one more segment, we'll get into all of that. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM, always available online at deltadispatches.org. We'll be right back. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress that has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore or Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Samoma Laws with Restore or Retreat. And it is National Estuaries Week, it and is. we're going to be back with Christy Trail. We will. 
um, in a second. But first, it's time for the Coastal Voice of the Week. And as a reminder, you can go online at any point on restorethecoast.org and submit your voice, your reason why Louisiana's coast is so important to you. Um, This week's Coastal Voice of the Week is Joe in New Orleans. Joe says, humans need the coast, birds need the coast, trees need the coast, shrimp need the coast, parades need the coast, (laughs) fish need the coast, Zydeco needs the coast. I feel like Christy knows Joe. (laughs) Christy, did you plant Joe for this episode? (laughs) It did work out well, didn't it? (laughs) Hey, look, he's got got the people, he's got the wildlife. And I think he's got he's got culture and he's got some jobs in there too. I think so. That's great. So welcome back, Christy. Um, fun question, um, Simone. Do you have one, or you want me to go? I'll let Jacques go. He's so much more creative. All than right. I am. Fun question for you, Christy. Um, what is your favorite estuarine species? Oh, you might be surprised by this one, but I do have an answer for you. My favorite species is the Rangia clam. Mm. Because they are so valuable to the lake. They really are. I was talking about it I feel it like y'all set this segment. question up. <laughs> I feel like this was orchestrated. <laughs> Simone's suspicious. <laughs> I, okay, I have my own fun question for you, Christy. You're probably looking out on the lake and you see all kind of boats. What would your boat be named? Oh, that's a good question. See, not I orchestrated. now it's a little bit harder to come up with a good answer Mm -hmm. Uh, i might have to call it the pontchartrain okay well i don't want to you know i'm sure people are still very interested in the the ecological value of the rangia clams so so christy can you tell us why the clams are important and we're not talking about eating them We love the clams so much, and as much as I love seafood, I do tell people, don't take out the clams to eat them. We need them in the lake. Um, But clams, you know, they are bottom feeders, so they do reside in that grassy habitat on the bottom of the lake. And they have a really important job. They filter water. So when water, you know, has sediment in it, which is full of nutrients for the clams, they take that sediment-laden water in, they clean it out, and then they spit out the clean water. And so it's a great story when we look at um, if, if the lake has, if we have a heavy rain in the basin and we get a lot of urban runoff, those clams can clean out the entire volume of the lake within three days. It's oh, pretty wow. impressive, the work that they do. Maybe the boat should be bottom feeder. <laughs> <laughs> Christy, let's get to talking. Right um, you have, uh, you had an op, you had a busy week yourself. You had uh, an op-ed in the paper talking about citizens obligation um, to Lake Pontchartrain. And we went to get to that, but remind all of our listeners again about what the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation does and how it's a vital part of this region and protecting that estuary. Great. So, you know, today is actually a really fun day to be on the radio talking with you all because today is our 30th anniversary. Oh, happy, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. I feel like we need a cake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. So, um, yes, we need a cake for Estuary's Week, and we'll just go ahead and get a second cake to celebrate LPBF birthday. <laughs> um, but, yes, yeah, so it's really exciting to see um, all the work that this organization has done and, and grown over these 30 years. You know, we really started um, as a grassroots organization around Lake Pontchartrain itself. You know, I've talked about its storied history with being polluted and a lot of the work that we did to alter the ecosystem, but we've brought it back. And nature does its job, and it's doing a great job doing that. 
So we do a lot of work today, a lot of research within our basin, looking at changes in the water quality, what we've seen change in the landscape around here, um, what happens after a heavy rain, what happens during a hurricane, and trying to use that data to help us predict for the future. Um, we do a lot of educational programs as well. So folks may not know that we have a hands-on STEM education program here. And it's a bit unique. You know, we really focus on the environmental aspect of STEM education, but we have scientists on staff as well. So while we want to get kids interested in the, the work that we do, we can actually show them scientists that are out there doing that work. And so we're really aiming to inspire those kids to pursue careers in this, um, in this estuary. So where can people go um, to learn more about the great work of Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation, support you all in that effort, whether it's financially or through volunteerism, or to learn about, you know, your education um, and STEM efforts? Yeah, so that is a great question, and we have lots of ways for folks to get involved. And probably the easiest place for folks to figure out, um, you know, how to volunteer and when to volunteer is to go to our website at saveourlake.org. We have a volunteer section on our website. Um, it's got a button to click if you're interested in volunteering. There's a wealth of information on our website. You know, just keep in mind our staff is mostly scientists, so there's probably more information on there than one can process in a day. But um, we are always looking for help in cleaning up our waterways um, and spreading the good work that we do. You know, sometimes it's attending a meeting to, you know, advocate on a particular issue or helping out with a field trip with um, youth in the area, or again, just doing some cleanup in the basin is always helpful. And um, I mean, that's kind of the the message that you were driving with um, your op-ed that was published in The Advocate, right? That, you know, we all have a responsibility to our estuaries, to, um, you know, Lake Pontchartrain. So tell us a little bit about um, the op-ed and, and what you, um, you know, you said in it. Yeah, thank you. So the op-ed was published on Tuesday, um, and I really was trying to, you know, get a little recognition around National Estuaries Week and raise awareness that Lake Pontchartrain is an estuary and, and why is it important? And, you know, why is this body of water important not only to us in southeast Louisiana, but to the rest of the state and honestly to the rest of the nation? And I think just looking at the historic floods of 2019 really shows that this part of the country is relevant to the rest of the country. You know, we are a drainage area and we absorb a lot of the drainage from the country. So how does that affect us and how does that affect the fishery? And, um, and then what happens in situations like that? What happens after the flood? What happens during a hurricane? You know, we had a unique situation um, come to us in July where the river was really high and we had a hurricane out in the Gulf of Mexico. People look to us as scientists to say, you know, What's going to happen? So, um, so that's kind of the message we were working to get out there uh, to let folks know that we're here, we're looking after the basin, but we do still need the help of all the citizens in the basin, and that's over two million of you out there um, that I hope are all listening to this program today. Uh, you know, to help keep our waterways clean, and just remember that we have this beautiful resource right out our back door. So, Christy, you have an event coming up, right? Let's I talk do. about Beach Sweep, because now apparently I saw a note that you could swim in the lake now, yes? Yes, the state has lifted the advisory they issued early this summer, so we're excited to see that. But um, as I mentioned, it's 98 degrees outside, <laughs> so it's probably a great time to jump in the water and get a little cooled off. But you had but this, this Beach Sweep plan before then, too, though, right? Right, right. 
So this Saturday um, is actually International Coastal Cleanup Day. So we are coordinating with other entities all around the globe who are all going to be doing litter pickups in their communities all on the same day. And it's a great, impactful day that uh, we can look at after the fact and say, wow, this many volunteers in one day picked up this much trash all around the globe. And we want to have a big part of that in cleaning up our basin as well. So last year we picked up about 58,000 pounds of trash. So, um, you know, that's important, not only just for the unsightliness of picking up litter, but we want to keep marine debris out of the lake. It can be harmful to marine life and harmful to birds. But most importantly, in our urban environments, we recognize we've got to keep debris out of our waterways and storm drains that flow into the lake, because when those things aren't clear, that's when we flood. And so, Christy, where can people go to learn more and get involved in Beach Sweep this Saturday? So on our website at saveourlake.org slash beach sweep, we have a bunch of information about the event with the times. Um, we are going to have a picnic over at our lighthouse as a thank you for volunteers. So all the information about that is on our website, saveourlake.org slash beach sweep. And is it an activity that parents can bring the kids to and get involved? Yes, very family friendly. We would love to get kids involved so they can recognize the importance of not only just doing service for the community, but also cleaning up our estuary. Well, thank you again so much, Christy, and to all the folks at Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation for your work, and also happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. What an important milestone. Thank you. you. Okay, we'll have to have cake soon, the three of us, for Estuaries Week and LPBF's anniversary, and just for cake. I'm all in. (laughs) All right, well, we'll be right back with another great organization after the break. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM, always available online at deltadispatches.org. From the bottom of the Marianas Trench, this is ASPN, the American Shoreline Podcast Network. News for the pelagic-minded. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Willaz with Restore or Retreat. And, you know, we were talking during the break. Um, Obviously, it's still hurricane season. Um, Our thoughts have been with so many people that have been affected this season, as always. Certainly um, the Bahamas. And then, of course, you know, with Dorian, it it largely missed the U.S. mainland. But all of a sudden, we have Imelda that's sending so much rainwater into parts of Texas east of Houston. And um, rescue is underway for folks there and, and people are flooded. So we're thinking about them or thinking about our neighbors um, to the West, but also know that, you know, we're also um, always challenged with the, the, the prospect of having those storms, whether they're, you know, a hurricane that happens um, that comes from offshore or just something that an intense rainstorm that develops. And we've seen a few of those this year in New Orleans. So um, our hearts and, and minds go out to um, neighbors in Texas that are dealing with that right now. And we're actually talking about water management and, and with a, a leader in our community who has helped so many people understand um, the challenges and opportunities that water, bring us, um, water brings us. So welcome back to Delta Dispatches, Angela Chalk, Executive Director with Healthy Community Services. Hi, thank you for having me back. So Angela, um, you know, 
for folks who may have not listened to our last episode, and I highly what? recommend they go back oh. and listen to that episode because <laughs> it was a great interview. And you talked about so much. I mean, from you know the way how healthy community services got started, the work you do in the community, but also you were on the heels of a congressional testimony where you went up to D.C. and and kind of testified before Congress. You to do let so much know. you like forgot about that. Did oh, you see Angela's face yeah, just now? Exactly. She's like, oh yeah, I did that little thing once, but no, I've been so no busy since then. But yeah, so just kind of refresh um, our memories. Uh, what is Healthy Community Services and what do you try to do in, in this community? Well, Healthy Community Services is a nonprofit organization based in the Seventh Ward here in New Orleans. And we like to say that we engage, educate, and empower residents to make decisions around stormwater management, um, coastal issues, and climate change, because whether or not people realize that even being in an urban setting, we are connected to the coast more than people may realize. And then again, we um, marry all of those things with food security, because if anything happens along that continuum, you know, I know I eat every day, and I'm going to assume that everyone else eats every day. I eat multiple times yeah. a day. Yeah, <laughs> and so as our climate changes, that affects our agriculture as well and our sources of food. But most importantly, for those communities that are left out of the conversation or who are working-class people, they're working. And so they don't think about these issues until it becomes acute. Well, Healthy Community Services brings that to your front door for you to start to think about those things. And we're proud of that record of bringing these issues to people who are who are working. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there have been moments, uh, even this year, when people have had to think about these issues because, you know, maybe they've seen their streets start to flood or their car flood or, you know, just the amount of rainwater that, that's been coming down with these storms. So um, are you seeing a greater awareness among kind of our, our, our residents of New Orleans about these issues about, you know, we need to think about how we're managing water differently? Oh, absolutely. In my neighborhood in the Seventh Ward, um, the conversation is being held at the local bar, at church, at the barbershop. Um, my 87-year-old um, nanny is even talking about it with her her friends. And so we realize that our climate is changing just by the heat. This is September, and we still have 90-degree weather in the middle of September. So whether you believe the science or not, or you choose to believe the science or not, you're impacted by it. Um, I have that visual of the July flooding with water on the RTA bus. Do you know how high water has to get to get on an RTA bus? Excellent point. (laughs) Uh, and that just um, just amazed me. But I'm also happy that um, citizens, community-driven actions, or people are realizing that it's it's going to take us along with city government to to, to 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 create a change. And that change starts incrementally. And one one thing I tell um, residents when I'm talking about this, we cannot pump our way out of this system with the 100-year-old system. It's just not going to work. So we have to get back to the natural process of storing water wayfalls and um, reforesting and planting trees to reduce what's called the heat island effect. Whether people realize it or not, they're affected. I know, just think about it. When you're driving along and you stop at the red light, if you stop in the shade, you're more comfortable. If you stop where there is no shade, you're a little grumpy. Mm-hmm. And so the science has told us that in neighborhoods with trees, we have less crime. Neighborhoods without trees, you have more social um, malbehavior. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, 
it affects our lives. I mean, I know for me, when I walk my dog, I seek out those areas that are shaded, right, in <laughs> exactly. the summer. And there are many places that have no trees, you know, in any near vicinity that can provide that comfort, that shade, you know, for, for residents. So it's so important. I know you were mentioning that you have something coming out this Saturday about that. Yes, we have um, did a preliminary survey, so we will be releasing the um, results of the data. We're monitoring air and surface temperature in areas with and without trees because the Weather Service issues a um, heat warning based on the temperature at the airport. Well, that may not be what's the actual temperature in my neighborhood. And so we're getting that baseline um, data so that we can know what's actually going on in the neighborhood that's closest Mm -hmm. to us. And is that partially also to make the case of why we need to have more, you know, trees, more planting throughout the city to kind of help deal and manage with the heat and other effects? It's partly to make the case, but Mm -hmm. more importantly, it's to cool down our target area mm-hmm. and um, to demonstrate to people not only the effects of cooling down, but that trees uptake water mm-hmm. as well. So that also helps to reduce flooding in neighborhoods. So it's, it's a whole facet of things that we don't even realize that's going on just with a single tree. Uh, the tree helps clean pollutants out of the air. So if you have respiratory illnesses, you know, that tree is helping you with your respiratory illnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, again, studies have shown that postoperatively, people who have trees, they recover quicker. Mm-hmm. So it's just those little things that the general population don't know about that we're trying to engage and empower. And then you can make the decision for yourself. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, kind of getting back to the water management side of things. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing progress there. Um Let's talk about some of the things people can do, right? They might feel overwhelmed, like, oh, my gosh, we have the this system in the city. I have no control my, myself of what I can do. Um, how has your organization partnered with, you know, people in the community to, to make a difference in terms of how they're able to manage water themselves? The main thing we do is um, engage residents and then educate them which leads to that empowerment that I was telling you about. So, for instance, uh, you are you live in a small space. Well, you can harvest water with the rain barrel, no matter what size it is, whether it's a 55-gallon 50, um, rain barrel or a 60-gallon rain barrel, or even a planter box. So you can start to manage water where it, where it lies. And then we move into other projects, such as um, bioswales, or French drains, or combinations of French drain, bioswill, rain garden. You can depave. We just did an area that was 16 by 4, and we depaved that area. And the cost was just as, it was comparable to regular concrete. So to me, it's just a no-brainer that if you're going to repave something, Use the permeable concrete because mm-hmm. that water is then absorbed back into the um, to the ground. And I think I saw the city just um, passed a resolution that new parking yes, lots. Yes, yes, yes. And I was at when I read that email, I was shouting hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, because yeah. you know, having not having concrete means mm-hmm. that the water can be absorbed. It's not right. going into the street or the drains, and then it's one component. And I remember we had uh, Margaret Orr on mm-hmm. recently, and she talked about rain barrels, and mm-hmm. she's like, okay. No, that's not going to solve the entire problem. But if everyone 
has a rain barrel, can you imagine the amount of water that that is keeping out of the system? I, I like to say incremental steps. Yep. So if you start with the rain barrel, maybe next year you can have um, a planter box. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just to, to, to begin to make those changes, those small changes, and collectively we can, we can impact our city. Angela, we're up against the break. We want to keep you on to talk a little bit about an event you're having this weekend, but can you tell everybody your website, Twitter, everything? Uh, I can be followed at Services Healthy, and on the website, it's www.hcsnola.org. Very good, very good. Well, we're listening. You're listening to Delta Dispatches right now. We're going to be uh, on for one more segment with Angela Chalk. We're happy to have her back on. We'll talk about more about an important event this weekend. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to WGSO 990 AM. ESPN Network, coastal news for the pelagic-minded. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. Simone had to head out. She has a very important flag football game to get to. Um, go, Ben. But I'm so excited to have with me again Angela Chalk, Executive Director with Healthy Community Services. Angela, right before we get back into some awesome events that you have going on this weekend, I have to give the Coastal Stat of the Week which is in light of uh, National Estuaries Week from Restore America's Estuaries. In addition to nearly 200 million Americans, approximately 70% of the population visit estuaries and coastal areas every year for vacations, recreation, sport, or sightseeing. The more we do to restore estuaries, the more Americans will be able to experience their amazing bounty. For the 110 million Americans who live near estuaries, they are essential to people's quality of life, for their scenic beauty, for their recreational opportunities, for their bounty, for their abundance of life, and for their mere presence. Restoring estuary habitat is the only way to ensure that this quality of life is protected and improved. And as Christy was saying, hey, in New Orleans, we all live right by an estuary. Yes, <laughs> Whether we, we know it or not, Lake right. Pontchartrain Basin. So, um, all right, Angela. So it is time for your fun question. We like to ask a fun question oh, on this show. That, yeah. I know. Um, <laughs> Um, what are you, okay, it's hot, right? So let's, let's envision cool temperatures. What are you most looking forward to for fall? I'm looking for cooler temperatures so that I can turn the air conditioner off. Oh, that's a good, good answer. I know that first cold front, I think we're all going to be outside just celebrating. So I think we're almost there. Yeah. Hopefully. I have faith. Yeah. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit more. I want to talk about some of the events you have coming up, but you um, participated in a really important panel um, with our organization and others for the Institute for Journalism Natural uh, Resources. And uh, it was held out at the Lakefront Airport, and it was part of their Lower Mississippi River Institute. So you had um, journalists from really all over the country. I mean, some from Louisiana, but some, you know, from all different parts, national journalists, um, local journalists. And you really helped them understand what's at stake um, to so many people here in Louisiana for this work. Um, you were also quoted in a story for PRI's The World, <laughs> which went out all over the world. So. 
Why do you think it's important for us to get that message out to people not from Louisiana about what we're doing down here? I I think because I put that personal touch to it because um, we're living it here. I'm just the person with with the voice right now, and I speak for everyone from the heart about what we're experiencing here. And so people... Um, understand that um, genuineness of the situation. And I think that's what makes the difference for me, Um, living it, experiencing it. Uh, I'd like to say all the time when I visit the river, it's a different experience. No matter, for instance, if I'm in the French Quarter, the river is a different experience. Uh, If I'm in Plaquemines Parish, the river is a different experience. If I'm digging for trees, realizing that that the land that we stand on was built by the Mississippi River. It's a different experience. And when I speak about it, um, I'm not speaking in hypotheticals. I'm speaking from experience. And I've had the privilege of um, having considerable interviews. I've, I've lost track of them now. <laughs> and I've started to put them in, in a single folder so that I can reference them back. But it's exciting um, to be able to speak the truth of what we're experiencing here. And I'm just one person. It always amazes me. I'm just a little girl from the Seventh Ward. <laughs> and people are, are um, realizing that we do have um, poignant reasons. Because if, if our coast goes, so does the rest of the country. Yeah. Well, I'm so grateful to you <laughs> for your, um, you know, uh, putting yourself and your experience and your community out there. And helping people realize, you know, these aren't just um, maps. These aren't just numbers. Um, these are people's lives. And, you know, um, it's a long history uh, uh, and connection to these places. And so I think the more we can tell those stories from the heart and speak about our communities and speak about our experience, the more impact we'll have in reaching people. And, and what's happening in my community, I see the transformation, not only from the urban stormwater management but realizing that we're not that far from the coast, Mm -hmm. that the things that um, are happening in Laura Jefferson and Plaquemines and Terrebonne, they're they're the brunt of every storm. And so if we're flooded by storm surge, then that means that the hospitality worker can't get to work because it's flooded. Or you can't enjoy the shrimp and seafood that we that we have and you were speaking about the estuaries the the natural pattern of the migratory birds come through louisiana and so when i'm speaking to folks about that especially our young people they start to think differently about where we live um even when uh, the the tree recycling when when it's just an exercise for um the Coast Guard and Army National Guard, but when you see that precision maneuver of dropping those recycled Christmas trees, you start to think about Bayou Sauvage differently. Mm-hmm. The Bayou Bienvenue Triangle. You know, when you look at that, people in the Lower Ninth Ward, I know they pass by it every day and they don't think about it. Uh, but if you actually go up on that on that platform and see it, and you realize, oh, this does impact me, and that's it's just about bringing incremental mm-hmm. changes to people's lives. So speaking of that and bringing change to people's <laughs> lives, you have a big event happening this weekend. Um, tell us about the Green Block of Dual Street. Okay, the Green Block was a vision that I had. And when we discussed this in our WaterWise weekly meeting, uh, my collaborating partners from um, Greater Treme Consortium, um, WaterWise Gulf South, and Bunny Front Neighborhood Association, especially Jeff Supak, Cheryl Austin, Catherine Prevost, they were looking at me with raised eyes like, you want to do what? 
And so the Green Block came about with putting eight green intervention, green infrastructure interventions on a single block so that people can get to understand what is green infrastructure. We talk about green infrastructure, but what is it? So it's a, it's a working classroom is what, it, it's what it's become. We've transformed an entire block based on the needs of that particular house. Uh, we have an 84-foot French drain. We depaved an area that was previously concreted. We have a French drain rain garden. We have a bioswale. And for those um, persons who are not homeowners on the block, they have rain barrels. So everyone gets to participate in this process. We have um, the, the dust to dawn solar lights. Each resident got um, solar addresses so that in the event of an emergency, um, fire department, police, EMS, they can see the, the lighted numbers that's solar powered. And we will be installing a solar bench so that um, if we have power outages, you can charge those small electronic devices. We have interactive. Um, I thought we were going to have green infrastructure tw um, twister. That was a game that we had <laughs> for the kids, uh, but that, that didn't pan out. But we will have a rain barrel um, damage build demonstration. And most importantly, we're introducing a new artist who, um, will, who has painted rain barrels. And each resident that is um, getting a rain barrel will have a work of art. What an amazing, not just event, but like what an amazing showcase of the potential that exists in New Orleans, mm -hmm. you know, and for our future. Tell us a little bit, can people come out? What time is it? Where and where can they get more information? Um, again, they can go to HCS NOLA. If you register at Eventbrite and put in Green Block, it'll come up. You'll get a swag bag. Um, it's happening on the 1800 block of Dual Street this Sunday, September 22nd, from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. You can come in and, and view the, the, um, the interventions. We'll have vendors there to talk about native plants. Um, if, they're, if you're interested in getting a construction um, um, built at your property, there will be um, vendors there that will do that. But most of all, this is a community event, and I'd like to thank our funders, the Greater New Orleans Foundation, and all the neighbors who helped to put this um, project together. Well, and especially thanks to you mm -hmm. for your vision and leadership and bringing this to life. So the Green Block of Dual Street, 1800 Block of Dual Street in New Orleans, this Sunday from 1 to 4 p.m., join Healthy Community Services, WaterWise, and others, and really see what, what the potential that exists to, water, to manage our water differently um, and to embrace water uh, rather than, you know, defend against it. So yes. um, thank you so much, Angela, for being on. Thanks to everyone for a great show. Um, Christy Trail, congratulations on 30 years of Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation. Go out this Saturday and do the beach sweep with Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation and then head down to Dual Street with Healthy Community Services on Sunday. Yes. What an amazing way to spend this weekend. Yes. All right. Well, we'll be right back next week. Thanks again so much.